great. Some people tend to judge what they have bought and, uh, of course, throw the baby out with the bathwater. I've certainly seen over the years a lot of people walk away from really, really good real estate for no particular reason other than having ants in their pants. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today, we're going to dig into some of the signals we need to observe to make sure we're going to hold on to real estate. Some people tend to judge what they have bought and, uh, of course, throw the baby out with the bathwater. I've certainly seen over the years a lot of people walk away from really, really good real estate for no particular reason other than having ants in their pants. So how do we know if we're holding on to something that's going to perform in the years ahead? What are some of the signals we should look out for to make sure we're holding on to a good asset? Of course, inside the real estate market, real estate does not grow every single year. And during those years when it doesn't grow, a lot of people start to be unpredictable. I tell you what is predictable, real estate is predictable. It is a great source of wealth and in particular, if you learn to leave it alone, it can just do wonderful things when you're not even thinking about it. When you're asleep, it can make you money. And of course, uh, for a lot of property investors, tough times come and tough times go. And we need to understand that real estate is a sport of time in the marketplace. And it just takes a little bit of time for real estate to do its thing. It's not crypto. It's not the share market. You can't buy and sell it in one afternoon. In fact, owning real estate comes with its own source of pros and cons. And of course, one of the cons with real estate is it's expensive to sell and it is expensive to rebuy once you factor in outgoing cost of sale and inbound cost of taxes, plus a little thing which we discussed recently called capital gains tax. So we want to get it right from the beginning. But uh, this show is all about understanding real estate. And of course, welcome aboard if it's your first time tuning into the show. Play the program at double speed. And of course, welcome back, all you crazy urban property investors. Hope you've had a wonderful, wonderful week. So let's do the show. Should we just chill out and be happy with what we own? Or should we start to second guess ourselves and potentially offload a dud? And of course, uh, I think it's important to offload duds because it's the rate of capital growth which is ultimately going to make you wealthy out of real estate, how quickly something's going to perform. But in saying that, we all come from different walks of life and of course have different budgets and different ages. And the older we get, the harder it is to trade up, trade out, and trade through real estate. So we want to get it right from the beginning. We want to get the best possible rate of growth that we can get for our budget. And of course, you know, in the scheme of how things work, if we end up seeing our property perform over 
13 years instead of 11 years. It's not such a big deal at all. And of course, a lot of the conversation around real estate is often about sort of this game of show and tell who's got the best property, who's got the best, uh, you know, rate of capital growth and so forth. Uh, If you've bought a decent enough property, it's going to do its thing. And, uh, you know, there is a cycle behind what that actually looks like. Of course, if it's a true lemon and it's not growing whatsoever, you probably do need to question yourself if you've given it a several, several years uh, already as to what is wrong with that property. And today we could discover maybe why something isn't growing as fast as something else. So we'll have a bit of a chat about it. But I think it's fair to say we need to also talk about time, the time horizon. What actually is a fair time horizon for real estate to do its thing? And how do we measure success in real estate? Well, I like to measure success from real estate doubling in value and how long that ultimately takes And PropTech recently came out or REA came out with the conversation that actually real estate takes 15 years to double. If real estate's taking 15 years to double, it's growing at around a 5% per annum growth rate. And of course, once you deduct out uh, things like inflation or CPI, you can see that real estate is without question beating the long-term inflation rate, which is typically around 2.5% by uh, basically another 2.5%. So if real estate cycles are around 15 years, then that in itself is a good, good basis point to have a conversation. Uh, There is obviously a lot of quite often people that suggest real estate will double in seven to 10 years can be done. Uh, Real estate, though, on average, according to PropTech, is doubling every 15 years. I also like to point out that I think speculation in real estate is around holding real estate for less than six years. I think there's very speculative Uh, Real estate needs a little bit more time. The biggest problem you face when you're becoming a property investor is the problem of time. Uh, Short-term investment, in my viewpoint, is 12 to 13 years. Medium-term is 15 years, which, uh, by PropTech's example of their data statistics, is a cycle. So for you to go a cycle, you need to think at least medium term, which is 15 years. And I think long term is anything above 20 years plus. That in my world is long term investing. And when you think about it, if a cycle is 15 years for a property to double in value, according to PropTech, then, uh, you know, if you've done a cycle plus you've bitten into the next cycle, that is long term investing. And of course, I've not met anyone who's actually owned real estate for one cycle or two cycles that says it hasn't worked out for them. Uh, Particularly people that have bitten into long-term investing, the prices that they have paid for real estate will shock you. And, uh, you know, as time goes on, money changes value 
assets change value and what was considered expensive 25 years ago today is expensive is considered cheap we want that experience as a property investor and we need to just sometimes chill out learn to go and play golf and leave our assets alone. I've certainly in my early years of investment had those sort of jumpy moments where it's like, well, I bought this thing. What's it going to do? Why doesn't it do anything? How come it doesn't go up? Why doesn't it go up every single year? Uh, Isn't real estate meant to double in value over a period of time? Well, surely there's going to be growth year on year. No, it doesn't work like that. You can have years and years and years of stagnation and then all of a sudden the market rebounds and of course gravitates to your property and you get accelerated levels of growth. And it's fair to say the Australian property market is a little bit annoying at times because periods like we're going through now, there's a lot of people who are not buying real estate but they will buy real estate and they tend to all come out at once. So you get this kind of slingshot effect of growth that comes and then disappears. But how do we know if we've got the right property? How do we create clarity in our own mind, create a vision for our future from the assets perhaps we own? And how do we know that we're sort of holding on to the right property when it comes to where we're headed. Now, remember, of course, when it comes to the idea of compounding growth, growth obviously gets faster later in the piece by virtue of the nature of compounding growth. In other words, if we started out with, say, a $400,000 property, Over the first five years, if it was to grow at the prop tech growth rate of 5%, uh, by year five, that property has gone from $400,000 to $500,000. It's around 20% of its value it's improved by. Uh, And of course, for a lot of property investors, that $100,000 may not even be enough to recycle out of the deal to go and buy again. So, uh, but... If we listen to PropTech, it's going to take 15 years for that property to double. But if we actually analyze compound growth, in other words, 5% on 5% on 5%, what happens is eventually the asset price becomes more and all of a sudden we're getting 5% growth, not on $400,000, but $500,000 and $600,000 or $700,000. And of course, if you actually analyze how capital growth works uh, and compounding capital growth works, well, the last five years of the cycle, you'll make something like close to 50% of the value of the assets improvement as opposed to the first 10 years, which would make up the other 50%. So in other words, as the asset improves in price, so does the growth levels in dollar increments. And it's pretty simple to understand. I mean, if you had a million dollar property growing at 10%, it's going to go up 100 grand. If you have a $500,000 property growing at 10%, it's going to go up 50 grand. Obviously, as the asset uh, is worth more, it uh, has a compounding effect of growth. But when it comes to choosing real estate and holding on to real estate, I think there are some 
important characteristics we need to identify. One, how profitable the property is going to be during your tenure. Two, how much demand the property has, uh, its rental income potential, its tax advantages, its location risk uh, issues, a potential exit strategy, uh, community risk mitigation, design, appeal, and value. These are all some of the conversations we need to have to make sure that we're holding the right property. Now, when it comes to profitability, I think obviously we've talked about the idea of compounding growth and the fact that prop tech's thrown out 15 years for a property to double. In real estate, we would call that rule 72, that it basically takes uh, 15 years for a property to double. The compounding growth rate is actually 5%. So, if we can actually improve on that, get a rate of return which is faster, our return on investment is going to mean that we're growing quicker. And again, if you were to look at, say, a 7% capital growth rate, that may mean the property actually doubles in price over a 10-year period. Now, today there are some properties which, in my viewpoint, when I look at its profitability, I would be suggesting that those properties have the potential to grow at a faster rate than 5%. Uh, and they just sit in a location quadrant, which makes a lot of sense, and a value quadrant price-wise that makes a lot of sense for a capital growth rate of that rate to unfold. So return on investment is uh, an important concept for property investors to understand. Basically, the IRR or uh, basically the asset value doubling in price is part of the puzzle. And again, if we want to examine Rule 72, we may look at trading history of the area. We may look at uh, compounding growth rates. We may look at uh, any reason as to why growth has been held back. And if there is a longer term uh, average that the growth rate may return to. And uh, in real estate, we often refer to that as the reversion of the average or the reversion of the mean. I think also when it comes to choosing the right asset and doing some figures on profitability, we want to understand the net yield, uh, even sometimes known as the cap rate. But if we just focus on the net yield, um, it's an important number that uh, basically allows us to understand, are we owning the right property and is it going to be a costly property that burns a hole in our back pocket? If our operating expenses are lower and our rent is higher, the net yield will be stronger. And of course, a strong net yield is really um, an important concept because it does link to the idea that that is our basically cash flow. And uh, again, if we can look at the profitability of real estate that we're perhaps holding on to, and we see that our operating income is uh, strong, but our expenses are high, we can often have a dis 
you know, a, a problematic operating expense ratio. And I think when your income doesn't improve and your costs basically skyrocket um, and your operating expenses are just all wrong, your real estate potentially has some challenges with it. And again, if I just look at some of my portfolio at the moment, uh, what I've noticed is insurance premiums are going through the roof to hold real estate, uh, something up like 30% to just hold on to real estate. So if I'm not getting that back in better rent, then basically my operating expenses are eating the cash flow of the asset. And uh, it's fair to say that we don't want a high operating expense ratio. And really what's quite normal in Australian real estate is to have basically the operating cost, not interest, but operating costs, things like property management fees, uh, strata fees, council rates, insurance, to be a roughly about 30% of the overall uh, cost to run the asset. So we don't want high operating costs. And again, uh, when it's time to offload a property, it's when the operating costs just start to not make sense. And I've certainly been through this where basically the income profile of the property started to fall behind, the operating expenses started to climb. And it just wasn't making mathematical sense to hold on to the real estate the ability for the rents to grow was circumspect compared to the risk of actually the operating expenses rising even further. So this is why we always want really good cash flow profiles with our real estate. Um, and it can be under rented real estate. That's fine because the future is actually rental increases, but we just got to be mindful if we've got high, really high operating expenses and our operating expense ratio is all out of whack, it's you're not going to have a good result from real estate, that's for sure. The other thing that we want is after-tax cash flow. And again, if our property is just too negative, it burns a hole in our back pocket and it's just, it, you know, fail quickly sometimes is just a better way to succeed in real estate. Um, identify that potentially you're not capitalizing on your cash flow profile. And, uh, you know, it, it may not mathematically work out if you're just too negative. If you're burning thirty, forty $40,000 a year in cash flow, and you're expecting to get that back in capital growth, uh, well, it's obviously going to put a big hole in your back pocket and you better be very certain that you're going to get that back in capital growth. So after-tax cash flow is an important one because, again, uh, it uh, links to the idea that you know, you're not spending too much money to run an asset. A couple of hundred bucks a week is not a lot of money, uh, but a couple of thousand certainly is. And so we don't want to be burning huge amounts of after-tax cash flow out of our back pocket. 
Uh, some other things that we might look at, which is also an important formula when it comes to the idea of running a property is generally the weighted average of our leases. Now, for the right property, if you've got the right property, it's you'll find that you rarely lose your tenant. They just want to keep staying there. And really, one of the biggest expenses of owning real estate is a downturn of basically vacancy and turnover of tenants because it costs money to basically find a new tenant, um, pay your real estate agency. And so if we can get a strong tenant who loves living in the property, they might live there for a decade, which is a big weighted average of stay. So it's not vacancy, it's occupancy, which is one thing which really does signal to me that I've got the right piece of real estate. I've had people live in my properties for over a decade and they just love the property. In fact, one of the challenges when someone stays so long is can they actually become the tenant of tomorrow because all of a sudden an area can just become so popular that your actual tenant can't afford to live in it. They get displaced from their own neighborhood. I recently had that. I had to uh, ask a lady to leave who's been a tenant of mine for 10 years. Uh, Everything comes to an end. But in 10 years of ownership, one turnover of tenant, a weighted average of that particular asset, which is very, very strong. And I would imagine the new people that have moved in will probably also stay several years because uh, they seem to love that particular property. So again, an important concept to make sure that we're uh, also, uh, you know, winning from real estate and we're also uh, going in the right direction. Probably one thing you could consider with real estate investment is cash on cash return, which is an important formula. Obviously, you have an annual cash flow and your rent from your real estate. Uh, You might have put some money down to buy your real estate at a deposit um, and uh, you might have even improved a property uh, with things like capital improvements. And the cash on cash return is just really the rate of basically return you're getting from your actual cash you've put into a deal. And uh, again, a good uh, cash on cash return um, is uh, an important way to measure real estate. You know, if by way of example, um, you put $300,000 into a property and you had an annual rent of $25,000, it's a cash on cash return of 8.3%. So, uh it's basically a model of looking at your return on your actual cash. Now, if you think about putting your cash in the bank, you might get a 4% return. Um, in the example I just gave you, you're getting an 8% return, 8.3% return. So uh, cash on cash return, it's a, it's a great way to, to figure out if your cash is doing well inside of your real estate. And if it is, you know, let it uh, let it ride. Uh, again, you can see that real estate is very much linked to its uh, its 
outcome when it comes to its cash flow. Now, remember, scarcity drives results in real estate and Rule 72 is an important one. If we can see our real estate go from 800,000 to 1.6 million and it takes, you know, 10 years to do that, we're getting an basically a 7% rate of return, which is an, a fantastic rate of return to see property double in 10 years. The bare ass minimum, we want to keep up with prop tech's 5% per annum per, basically report that real estate actually takes 15 years to double. Again, it's not such a big deal uh, if you give yourself enough bandwidth enough time horizon to deal with that. I don't think anyone's going to, you know, cry in their soup if an $800,000 property goes to 1.6 million in 15 years. I think it's still a great result. And, uh, you know, your return on your investment is going to be very, very strong. Considering in that example, Let's say you put down $160,000 deposit on the $800,000 investment and, uh, you know, it took 10 years to double, let's say. Well, that's actually a return on your cash of 500%, 500% over 10 years. And obviously, you could look at that yearly um, and, you know, it's 50% return on your cash over basically a year-on-year Example again, very good signals as to why you would hold on to your real estate. I think real estate is a location sport, and and really my sleep at night factor is locations. If I've got real estate, I know it's parked in a good suburb. I know that suburb has good schools, hospitals, shopping centres, local uh, medical places, good transportation, nice recreational areas, very livable, very attractive place. I know there's potential for growth there and I really don't have to second guess myself. I have owned real estate in weird places in the past and I've always second guessed myself around those locations. I've always gone, is this location actually going to work out? And I think, you know, uh, looking back in hindsight, you know, I should never have bought in those speculative places, small little uh, villages with no real prime local uh, action. Once you own real estate in blue chip, good suburbs, proven places, your real sleep at night factor, you, you, you know, you don't second guess yourself as to why you own the real estate and you don't really think about selling it because, you know, when you think about it, you're like, well, it's a pretty good location already. Um, it's just a lot of work to, to go off and start again. And when we think about locations, obviously they can have great natural amenity, cultural amenity, good people inside them, be very social places, uh, and great have a great sort of built environment. If you think about where people want to live, it's usually where all the good things are, where it's fun, where it's recreational, where it's got good levels of appeal. And so... I think location, once you have a good location, just don't let go of it. And uh, most people have always succeeded holding on to a good property in a good location. I think also when it comes to the idea of making sure that we have the right asset, it is market demand. Demand is really real estate. And 
though a lot of the conversation will be around supply of real estate, it's really what people want from real estate, which is the most critical factor to making sure you're holding the right property. And again, like if you look at the data and you've got the right property in the right target market, you know, everyone's going to want a four-bedroom house and you've got a four-bedroom house. That That's understanding market demand. And again, like you uh, may have to trade off a few things to just price yourself into a certain place. But again, if you can be close to what the market demand is or have what the market demand is, then you're always going to do very, very well. Again, certain suburbs might be more popular with certain demographics. Uh, You know, a suburb close to the city may be perfect for an apartment. A suburb in the middle, suburbia, may be perfect for a larger home. Market demand, understanding how a suburb's profile interfaces with market demand, it's important and will always mean your property is something that people want to hold. And if they want to hold it, that usually means you should hold it as well. Obviously, I think, and we've discussed this a little bit, but rental income is an important ingredient to owning an investment property. We want rents to double. And, uh, you know, we want to go from negative cash flow to positive cash flow. And as we know, PropTech suggests a 15-year turnaround for a cycle, not only for properties to double in value, but what about for rents to double in value? And I think it's a very important ingredient that you have a property in a territory or a suburb where there's a level of affluence whereby the rents can actually double during your cycle of owning the real estate over that 15-year period. I've seen some clients who've had real estate and they've owned it for 15 years. The rents have gone from 300 in 15 years, $300 a week to 340 a week. Uh, it's not exactly a good signal that that real estate is going to end up positive cash flow. However, I've also seen rents go from $600 to $1,200 a week. It's happened to me. I've had rents go from $700 to $1,350 a week in rent. Why? Because the places I've invested, there's a level of affluence, which is a big ingredient to the appeal of the rental market and the way rents work in Australia is there's the broke section of town which people just simply have a roof over their head and then there's this discretionary rental market of course if you can tap into that you know you've got the right property I think uh, you've got the right property if you're also got some good tax advantages I think it's really really important to understand that real estate Uh, comes with some benefits from the ATO and you should use them. And if a property is just too old, it's going to mean you're going to have a liability. Properties carry an age risk with them. Uh, A lot of properties get knocked down into their 40th year, 50th year, 60th year. And again, if you are owning a property which is probably needs a wrecking ball, 
it may just not suit you in retirement. So you may actually be better off trading out of that property and looking for something a little bit more modern, which again is not going to suck the life out of your back pocket from a cash flow perspective because you're propping up the asset to always repair and maintain its appeal. Now, here in Australia, of course, if you buy a newer property, a more modern property, you're going to get depreciation benefits from that, uh, which helps your cash flow. But I think the main thing beyond depreciation, depreciation is really just a benefit of uh, owning real estate. It's not a principle of owning real estate. Um, a high rate of capital growth on a property with less depreciation outperforms a property with depreciation. But I think it's very important to understand that age is a barrier for dwellings. If they're too old, you should probably pass them up. And when you think about it, if you're going to uh, be around for another 40 years and you want an asset to go to your, I guess, grave with you, you probably need to consider, you know, how old and the birthday of that real estate. If it's already 40 years old uh, and you're, you're going to need it for another 40 years, it's going to be 80 years old when you're in your old age, in your pension. Does that sound like a good idea? And so for me, I always just think, well, I want real estate that's going to maintain a good look and feel. It's not going to run uh, me into the ground when it comes to operating expenses. And if I can keep it as an appealing asset over that period of time, then I won't have to dump it later in life. So risk mitigation is an important thing, I think, as well. Um, we don't want real estate which has high insurance cover coverage, uh, cost a bucket load to run because it's in a risky place. Um, and if we can minimize our potential risks, we can provide ourselves a bit of investor peace of mind. Risk mitigation with real estate is age and insurance. It's really the two main ones when it comes to how it works. And of course, making sure your operational costs don't skyrocket on you with rents going nowhere because you're connected to the broke end of town. I think also when you own the right property, you know it's very sellable. You can exit the real estate on any given day and it's going to sell within 30 to 45 days. If you've got the right real estate, you will always sleep at night knowing that it's very sellable, very, very liquidable. In real estate, there is a liquid real estate and there is liquid real estate. Too many property investors own illiquid real estate and really when uh, it comes to sleep at night factor, thinking they've got the right property, actually to sell that real estate is very hard. It's To offload it's very hard. It's not an owner-occupier marketplace. It's not a piece of real estate which people aspire to buy. So think always owner-occupier appeal and you'll know you're holding on to the right piece of real estate which is going to set you up to be successful as a buy and hold real estate investor. Remember, the biggest problem with real estate is time. If you can have the a property which is profitable, 
if you can have a property which has good market demand, you're ticking the box. If you've got good rental income potential for the real estate, you're ticking the box. If you can take advantage of the tax system and not have an age piece of real estate, you're ticking the box. If you've got the right location, you're ticking the box. If you know you can always sell the property, you are ticking the box. And again, when it comes to some other dynamics to consider, I always like community risk mitigation. What does that actually mean? Well, your neighbors are actually part of the puzzle when it comes to real estate investment. If they're broke, if they can't renovate their house, if they can't upgrade the look and feel of the street, well, you're connected to that. So for me, I always like the idea that I'm invested in a gentrifying place, an area improving, not declining. And again, for me, that's a real checklist number one when it comes to making sure that I'm holding on to a property that I should be holding on to. If the neighborhood is going down, why am I sticking around? I'd rather fail fast rather than go down slowly with a look and feel of a neighborhood going backwards. So I think that's an important one as well to consider when it comes to whether you should be holding on to your real estate or getting rid of it and starting again. Profitability, market demand, rental income potential, tax advantages, location risk, exit strategy, and community risk all mean that you've ticked the boxes of buying the right real estate. And of course, if you can link that to, again, your things like your return on investment, your rate of capital growth, rule 72, your operating income and your expense ratio, you know you're holding on to the right property. So just leave it alone and uh, let it do its thing. There will be periods of market growth. Uh, there always is. So just hang on to the real estate and uh, leave it alone. Real estate is highly profitable. Uh, real estate can absolutely change your life. Profits are better than wages. So just stick to the plan. Leave your real estate be. All right, folks, that's it for me. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.